from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan, and we're down in Houston, Texas for Commodity Classic. Here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. From the Farm Bill to renewable fuels, commodity groups are pushing for growth and some change. We got some good news last week on E15. Was it perfect news? I would like to have seen that uh, obviously implemented in 2024. The situation continues to unfold in the Texas Panhandle, where possibly tens of thousands of cattle are dead amid the largest wildfire ever recorded in the state. That fire, when it came off the top of the hill and dropped down into the bottom in about 30 to 45 seconds, it moved a half a mile. Plus, how growers are pushing yields and seeing success. Some of the distractions, some of the things that made 2023 really different didn't help us out in 2023. That and more from Commodity Classic. U.S. Farm Report, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the name on a cap matches the power of one's purpose. Pioneer. What's next happens here. Now for the news, we're following a developing story from here in Texas as the state battles a series of massive wildfires sweeping across the panhandle. The state's governor issuing a disaster declaration for 60 counties. The main blaze, the Smokehouse Creek Fire, swelling quickly to the largest wildfire in the state's history, consuming more than a million acres, spreading at an average rate of 150 football fields every minute at one point, with farms and ranches in its path. Some of the flames jumped into neighboring Oklahoma. Texas Commissioner of Ag Sid Miller warning of potentially tens of thousands of cattle killed in the fires. We spoke with one Texas farmer here at Commodity Classic whose land was in the path of that fire. He shared this video of what was happening. This is on the north side of Miami, Texas. He said the fires started on Monday with 30 to 60 mile per hour winds. That fire, when it came off the top of the hill and dropped down into the bottom in about 30 to 45 seconds, it moved a half a mile. It just blew like a, it's just almost unbelievable how fast it came across us. Agricultural agent Andy Holloway estimates around 80% of the land in just one county has burned and 5,000 head of cattle been killed. Numbers that could rise across the region as damage assessment comes in over the days ahead. Ranchers in the area did everything they could to save their land and livestock. That includes Jeff Chisholm, who owns a 30,000 acre ranch in nearby Roberts County. The biggest thing we lost was our grass. Um, we did lose some cattle. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't as bad as what you would think or what we had thought it would be. And the Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association is taking up donations for ranchers in the Texas Panhandle and Western Oklahoma, asking folks to give its TSCRA disaster funds. The organization says the donations will go to aid victims of the fire. For more information and how you can help, head to the website on our screen. Well, ahead of the EPA here at Commodity Classic on Friday, many anticipating an important regulatory announcement from the agency in regards to sustainable aviation fuel. But that didn't happen. The Biden administration missing a self-imposed deadline to update a key government tool used for calculating greenhouse gases from transportation and energy industries, including agriculture. Instead, EPA announcing it is establishing a new office to expand engagement with ag and rural communities. With his visit here to Houston, Regan becomes the first EPA administrator in history 
to attend Commodity Classic. Well, a big development in Congress this week as Mitch McConnell announces he's stepping down as the Republican leader of the Senate in November, but will serve out his Senate term, which ends in January 2027. And senators from key farm states could be eyeing for that top job. Farm group leaders like American Soybean Association CEO and former Deputy Ag Secretary Steve Sensky says there will likely be competition for that election. Now that sets up a, an opportunity though for uh, you know my former colleague and friend John Thune who's the number two uh, leader in the in the Republican conference right now. Um, also I know that he'll face competition they're talking about from the three Johns. Uh, John Thune, John Cornyn, and John Barroso are likely, and there may be others that will be running for that position. Sinski talking to Farm Journal's Michelle Rook, aides said McConnell's announcement was unrelated to his health. The Kentucky senator had a concussion from a fall last year in two public episodes where his face briefly froze while he was speaking. That's it for the news. Well, wild winds and uncontrollable wildfires wreaking havoc in the panhandle of Texas this week, as we told you earlier in the show, the area desperately needing rain. We will have a check of your forecast coming up next. U.S. Farm Report on the road from the 2024 Commodity Classic is brought to you by GHX. Get seed success simplified with GHX. Make the right decisions for your farm on your terms, maximizing your profit potential. By the United Soybean Board to see how 77 farmer leaders maximize the value of soy checkoff investments for all U.S. soybean farmers. By QuickShot, push seed to its full yield potential with a boost of QuickShot, a new dual-purpose hopper box treatment from Helena, and by Double Team Cropping Solution. Cleaner fields mean bigger yields for sorghum growers. U.S. Farm Report weather is brought to you by H&S Manufacturing. Poly sides, floor, and a rear monoblock gearbox on vertical beater models are just some of the great features of the H&S Hydra Push 425 and 550 bushel model manure spreaders. Find out more about the Hydra Push at the H&S website. Time now for a check of the weather. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joining us now. Matt, along with the high winds, we saw more than 140 temperature records broken at one point this week before temps made a 70 degree swing in some areas. Some of our viewers seen all four seasons in one week. Just crazy. Well, of course, we're following uh, the wildfires going on in the panhandle of uh, Texas and unfortunately not seeing much relief. The jet stream uh, the way it is going to be pronounced across the United States is going to keep those winds elevated and dry conditions around. So let's go take a look at it. This is a jet stream coming up on Sunday. Uh, one feature I'm going to point out uh, for our Sunday or I should say this weekend and going into this week is this right here. A ridge trying to develop but also anchoring into the southeast. Uh, so unlike last week where a low pressure system brought down that cold air and it worked across the United States, what's going to end up happening Monday and Tuesday is this pronounced ridge and we can't go through it. Now, so any kind of energy in the jet stream that could bring rain, snow or cold temperatures is going to have to go over it. So that's why you're going to see uh, the trough or the U try to dig down here into the United States. And rather than come through, it's going to go up 
and over that ridge. The other part of this is that with that low, with that trough more to the north, that's going to keep the warm air around longer, longer you know, for two thirds of the United States. Now this one right here, it may get uh, an uptick in some uh, rainfall here and there, uh, but nothing like a surface feature or traditional low pressure system that would bring uh, rainfall to a large portion of the United States. So that's kind of the long way of saying a pretty quiet week ahead uh, with again that uh, ridge and uh, making things a little difficult uh, to get not only rain, but also cold air in and across the United States. Let's get to Friday and Saturday uh, trying to cut this off uh, with a trough. Uh, possibly uh, some uh, rainfall, uh, but nothing severe or anything like that Friday into Saturday. But worth noting, may get some cloudiness, uh, some light showers, maybe a heavy downpour in and across the Midwest, including Pennsylvania and uh, upstate New York. The other one we're going to be watching, uh, this is going to be back off towards the, uh, the west and the southwest. This cutoff low, uh, depending on how it acts uh, over the next couple of days, but especially into next weekend, we could be looking at a little bit more expansive, uh, expansive rainfall in across the United States. And so to put that all together, here's looking at the temperature outlook March 5th through the 9th. Nearly two thirds the United States still looking at above average conditions. Takes us a good week into March. Thanks, Matt. Well, pressured prices and tighter margins concerns are mounting here at Commodity Classic about the reality of it all. We'll talk markets with Chip Lori, Chip Nellinger, and Arlen Sitterman next. Welcome back to Commodity Classic this weekend, our live taping of U.S. Farm Report. A great crowd. We appreciate everyone for being here. Chip Laurie, Chip Nellinger, Arlen Suderman joining us for the marketing discussion this weekend. But we want to start off because this is Friday morning that we're, that we're talking. There's a bit of breaking news from StoneX when it comes to an updated look at the South American crop. So, Arlen, how much, how much smaller is this crop getting? Well, we have 14 offices in Brazil, and so every month during the growing season, we survey our producers and say, what is the size of the crop? They've done a pretty good job of that over the years. And there's a tendency with farmer surveys that when it's a big crop to overshoot it and then come back down, when it's a, a small crop to undershoot it and come back up. So you always say, where's that inflection point going to be and everything? A production estimate uh, for March 1st. It, for soybeans is 151.6 million metric tons, which in and of itself is pretty close to where some other private estimates are, but that's up 1.2 million metric tons from last month as they were hearing better than expected yields in the harvest from a couple of key production areas. That really kind of surprised me. All corn production at 124.5 million metric tons, essentially unchanged from last month. That's not a really a surprise because the safrina crop, which is 77% of production, is just completing planting now in Meta Grasso. So I expect more changes in that as we go forward. That's where the big risk is. Jeff Nellinger, this is like deja vu to the U.S. crop last fall. Yeah, much like uh, our season. They were so hot and dry early on. They got some late rains and I think benefited that crop. They're going to debate that crop size for a couple more months, though. It's going to take a while to figure that out. Um, it, you know, and, and I think it... The, the take home I get here over the last three or four months, this market trades more on technicals and money flow than fundamentals right now. And so, you know, the market sold off hard on some friendly fundamentals just because we're getting some bearish fundamentals maybe with some crop estimates doesn't mean that we're going to continue to break this market with the funds being record short right now. Well, Chip, I mean, lately, Chip Flory, it's not like we've seen the South American market really move the markets much. No, and the harvest is happening so fast that there's so much crop that needs to be covered 
so much crop that needs to be hedged. It's hedged in the U.S. market. That's had to have an impact on it. And if anybody's still watching the supply side and trying to figure out exactly what's going on, to hear the phrase better than expected is like, you know, rubbing salt in the wounds. Uh, it, 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 we're to the point now on the supply side of the market that we're going to have to get into a harvest where we hear it's worse than expected to turn this thing around. Well, on the demand side, we need oh. good demand news. And there were rumors this week that China was buying corn out of the PNW. Orlin, it, 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 is that happening? Uh, they're buying a little corn, but they're mostly buying from Ukraine and buying from Brazil right now. Now, they are, when you look at where U.S. corn is priced, it's about 25 to 30 cents higher price than Brazil corn. But Brazil is starting to switch towards soybeans. So that's good news. But they are buying a lot of Ukraine corn. The key there is the Red Sea. Because uh, all that corn coming out of Ukraine goes through the Red Sea or all the way around the southern end of, of Africa. And so that increases the cost. It's ironic that China is buying that corn because they just had a bumper crop. And based on our private sources in China and our people there, we believe the crop in China was bigger than even the government says that it was. So why are they buying? Because they're building reserves of just about every essential commodity right now. Uh, corn, soybeans crude oil. They're building supplies. They are buying corn from their farmers, putting it in reserves to try to prop up the price. And in propping up the price, they're making it the arbitrage work for importing corn. So they're continuing to do that. They're buying grain sorghum for feed as well. They're buying up commodities, building up reserves. Well, building up reserves, buying sorghum, buying corn. I mean, that's good news for us, right, Chip? It is in general. I mean, you want China to be there. There's other demand we have. You know, that was the thing that uh, maybe hit the bean market a little bit here when this recent sell-off was China has not been there to the extent that they had been in the past. And it, it wasn't that they weren't buying beans. They were buying record amounts of South American beans. So their appetite is as strong or stronger than it ever has been. It just right now, in the short run, has not been U.S. beans they've been buying. But to Arlen's point, you know, they're still there in the market. Um, you know, the world supply and demand figures uh, and the cash markets – We'll sift this out, and it looks like we're closer than we have been, at least in the last two or three months, to be in fair value in corn, beans, and wheat in the world market. Yeah, so when they sw- when they shift gears and start to accelerate their purchasing, you got to ask the question, why? Why are they doing it? So if they are accumulating all these commodities, the list that Arlen went through, what are they prepping for? Is, is Taiwan involved in this? Uh, it could be something that... We're going to have to watch very closely. All right. We need to take a quick break, and then we will have much more from our marketing discussion right here at Commodity Classic. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report from here at Commodity Classic. All right, let's get into the acreage discussion. Western, I was talking to Golden Harvest earlier. Western Corn Belt seems like corn sales are up. Eastern Corn Belt. Soybean sales are climbing. Doesn't surprise me being in the Western Corn Belt. The amount of anhydrous that has gone on at a record pace this year is unbelievable. It is scary how dry it is, Arlen. Oh, it is. And fortunately, it looks like March is going to be wetter for much of the Midwest. We're going to start refilling some of that soil profile. April is still a toss-up. But if we could improve the moisture, slow down the field work a little bit, and help set the stage for the growing season, that would certainly be good. We're not looking for as quite as large of an acreage shift as what USDA did have, 
but we are hearing, particularly in the southern and eastern parts of the Midwest, that farmers are leaning a little heavier towards soybeans. Jeff, speaking of dry weather, those devastating wildfires in the Texas Panhandle, I mean, I, my thoughts, my prayers go out to everyone up there looking at uh, uh, more than a million acres that were burned. We don't know how many cattle uh, were lost at this point. Did that impact the cattle market much this week? Well, unfortunately, it, it probably didn't. I mean, if you're in the middle of that, uh, devastating, you know, and you look at some of the pictures, it, uh, it is really a bad deal there. Uh, obviously, burned some farm ground. Um, cattle production is, uh, is a big part of that. And unfortunately, it's probably not a big enough amount to have a major impact on the overall size of the herd in the United States or a direct impact on prices. But it, it certainly uh, is a bad, bad situation if you're right in the middle of that. Well, another hot topic here at Commodity Classic EPA. We're, we're talking Friday morning. Later this morning, EPA Administrator Michael Regan's going to be here expecting a big announcement on the GREET model. That was the expectation. Yeah. But Chip, it doesn't sound like we're going to get any news on the GREET model. So well, Reuters was reporting on Friday morning that no, that, that the announcement was going to be delayed by at least a couple of weeks, maybe even longer than that. So if we're looking for the GREET model announcement today, eh, maybe not so much. But the good news is EPA is going to announce that there's going to be a new Office of Rural Development at EPA. But the GREET model, it's so important for a pathway for sustainable aviation. Unbelievably. So, Arlen, we, we need this clarification. Without it, will we see sustainable aviation fuel take flight like some had expected? It, it's going to be a lot tougher for ethanol to be a part of it. There's going to be work. They're going to talk about how there is a path to be done. Uh, much of that path will be changes by agriculture. Uh, the type of changes, frankly, that European farmers right now are building tractor cades around. You know, just one thing, if it was going to be positive news when they announce it here. So maybe it's not going to be as positive for the pathway for corn-based ethanol as what we were hoping. We've talked about a lot of things, some bearish numbers out of out of Brazil, but Chip, leave us with something bullish. What are you excited about this year for the market? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Chip Nellen. Which Chip? Which Chip? <laughs> Chip Nellen. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of things to be in the short run, the next 60, 70 days. So many uncertainties with planted acreage, our spring weather, the size of the South American crops. The funds have a record short position. It's about a, as bearish a setup as you can get. And you oftentimes don't need friendly fundamentals for the market and the money flow to turn. So I, th I think the trade in the first week of March next week is really important technically. If we can hold these gains together uh, and build on them next week, I think that maybe we have a spring rally starting. I really appreciate you guys being here this week. Thank you so much. We need to take a quick break and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. Hey folks, it's tractor tail time and we are headed to Kansas to check out a Farmall 300 still in its work clothes. This old 300 uh, I bought up north of town here about 20 miles and it's a little bit newer in the age. I'm not sure it's in the 53, 55 range somewhere in there. Uh, primary use it for uh, sickle bar mow and the spray. Take care of thistles and brush and stuff like that. Uh, right now it's hooked up to the sprayer, so if there's a fire this time of year, just a fire prevention. But it's a good old dependable tractor. Uh, the nice part about them is you get a battery and a little gas to it, you hit the starter, they, they start. They're always 
pretty pretty uh, easy to start, gentle to start. Just a plain old five speed and does not have independent power takeoff. Mowing's fine, but uh, you don't want to do a lot of heavy PTO work with it. It's got good tires, so that's, that's the main purpose of this one. It just hooked up, ready to use. Thanks, Greg. Well, our current commodity price is putting pressure on lawmakers to get a farm bill done. Plus, what other priorities are commodity groups here at Commodity Classic pushing for in 2024? Michelle Rook covers the landscape of it all in our Farm Journal Report next. You're watching U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Commodity Classic, all of the major commodity organizations are adopting policy that will guide their agendas on Capitol Hill in 2024. Michelle Rook caught up with the CEO of each of those organizations for an update. That's right. There's consensus among all of the groups that they want a five-year farm bill that preserves crop insurance. But how the farm safety net is improved really is specific to commodity. Plus, regulatory and biofuels policy are high on their priority lists. Farmers are currently operating under a one-year extension of the farm bill, so new legislation is critical with grain prices falling substantially from 2023, while input costs and interest rates are historically high. The nation's corn growers are no exception, and NCGA CEO Neil Kasky says they need updates to crop insurance in the Title I programs. I think the, the clearest priority in a new farm bill is uh, protecting crop insurance um, in, in the years ahead. You know, that's a, a vital tool that, that we need. Uh, to you know, obviously stay afloat uh, when, when times get rough. And so we, we need that. We need a, a stronger uh, safety net, which does include a, a mandatory base acre update for, for us. Kasky says more needs to be done to ensure the industry can sell higher blends of ethanol. So they've been closely watching the GREET model revisions for tax credits and pushing for year-round E15. We got some good news last week on E15. Was it perfect news? I would like to have seen that. Uh, obviously implemented in 2024. The higher uh, priority in, in the, uh, the ethanol um, uh, space is the passage of the Next Generation Fuels Act. So that would establish uh, a new uh, standard that would effectively preserve the internal combustion engine for, for years to come and allow us to, uh, as a liquid fuel space. NCGA is also hoping for a favorable ruling on their USMCA dispute resolution panel regarding Mexico's proposed ban of GMO corn. American Soybean Association CEO Steve Sensky says they're also asking for an update of the farm safety net, specifically reference prices, which are far below the cost of production. However, the challenge has been finding the money it will cost to make the enhancements. We have not specified an actual level because, again, it depends on the budgetary resources that, that are available. One of them, you can do a straight reference price uh, increase, but another option is for Congress to lift some of the caps on, on taking a look at historical prices. They're only allowed to move up 15% during the life of the, of the farm bill. Um, but actually, if you look back and if you would remove that cap, we could have a substantial increase in the soybean reference price. Sensky says they also want to make sure farmers have crop protection products available and would like EPA to adjust their approach to re-registrations. That is just both defending current crop protection products that's making sure that the new herbicide strategy coming from the EPA uh, is practical and implementable, 
uh, can be implemented uh, without putting growers out of business. For wheat growers, CEO Chandler Gould says the farm program needs to address and improve ARC and PLC coverage levels and strengthen crop insurance. We'd like to expand the program, possibly make it where uh, it was more affordable for more farmers to buy at a higher uh, uh, coverage level with a lower premium so that we can really uh, mix and match those different programs and tools for yield and revenue loss that the crop insurance program has. Plus, transportation is an important topic for NOG with a major export port for wheat being threatened. There continues to be a push from the Biden administration and, and uh, the, the tribes and environmental groups uh, to remove the four lower dams on the Snake River and the Columbia River system. And 60% uh, of the wheat in the PNW area goes out, 65% actually goes out that, that, that river system. 10% of all U.S. wheat goes out there, not only to mention all the things that come in that direction, potash and fertilizer and soy goes out that direction. The head of the National Sorghum Grower says they too are asking for higher reference prices in the new farm bill. Reference prices are important to us, so that's uh, one of our priorities is additional dollars there to go into the reference price. Of course, do no harm in crop insurance. And when it comes to biofuels, Lust says they want fair access to the 40Z tax credits available in the Inflation Reduction Act. Tremendous opportunity for the sorghum industry from a carbon standpoint. Uh, tremendous opportunity for a lot of the sorghum belt ethanol plants. Uh, but the devil's in the detail and those rules are going to be really important. Those models are going to be really important. The group's members have all seen commodity prices fall sharply with growing supplies and so demand will be key for all of their markets in 2024. I'm Michelle Rook for U.S. Farm Report. Thanks, Michelle. Well, a little over six years ago, it was all about trade and what USMCA would mean for farmers across the U.S. Now, six years later, how is it panning out through the eyes of Canada? That's Ag Around the World, next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Tendovo Soybean Herbicide, raising the pre-emergence bar one clean row at a time. Now for a glimpse of agriculture around the world, Ukraine appears to be nearing its pre-war export levels when it comes to ag. The country's infrastructure minister saying Ukraine has exported 30 million metric tons of ag goods through its Black Sea and Danube ports. Specifically, more than 18 million metric tons of ag products were transported directly via the Black Sea corridor. Additionally, Ukraine aims to boost exports via the Danube and is encouraging global businesses to utilize container barge caravans to circumvent blocked grain shipments at Poland's border. And while the grain may be making it out of the country, not everyone appears happy about it. Ukraine is urging Poland to punish those responsible for spills of its grain cargo in Poland over the weekend. Around 160 metric tons of grain was destroyed at a Polish railway station. It comes as Polish farmers protest what they describe as unfair competition from Ukraine, along with European Union environment regulations. And farmer protests continue in Europe this time in Brussels. As EU agriculture ministers meet, farmers burn tires and block the streets with tractors. They're protesting what they see as cheap agricultural products coming from outside the EU, including Ukraine. Several agriculture federations are saying the European Commission has not come far enough to meet their demands. We've been protesting indeed for many weeks uh, because we've seen the cost of production increase and the prices that we are being given uh, for our production are not increasing. So it's becoming very hard to make a living out of uh, farming in, uh, in Europe. So these protests are basically for a fair income. We are struggling for 
for dignity. We produce food, everybody needs food, and we also take care of the nat nature, and so we deserve to be treated with decency. Farmers' demonstrations have also caused disruptions in Spain, Italy, France, and Germany. Well, being in Houston this week, there is a lot of talk about the southern border and the crisis in the U.S. But at the northern border, the talk is all about trade. It's been more than six years since the U.S., Canada, and Mexico signed the USMCA. In 2026, that agreement is up for renegotiation. But Canadian-based real agriculture Sean Haney telling us Canada is already preparing for those talks. One way is through Bill 282 in Canada, which would amend the Department of Foreign Affairs Trade and Development Act so that dairy, eggs and poultry would not be on the table during trade talks. Groups, including the Canadian Agri-Food and Trade Alliance, oppose the bill. But as Haney tells us, the bill would essentially prevent giving up any more market access to the Canadian dairy market in the future. I think that's sort of built on false pretenses. Uh, I think it's going to make the U.S. really double down on wanting more market access, especially at a time where the U.S. dairy producer is really struggling. Canada is also looking at its reforming its Team Canada approach, which is talking to people at the state level and in D.C. to say, hey, remember, remember me, House Representative? Canada, U.S. trade, very important. Work on our behalf to convince the administration of the U.S. to keep what we have and not wreck uh, the, the, the free trade that happens between the two countries. I think they're going to hear a much more protectionist attitude from some of those people at the D.C. level because I think on both sides of the aisle, more protectionism than going back to 2018. Haney says the presidential election in the U.S. this year will have a big impact on the renegotiation of USMCA. But he says Canada's approach will more than likely be do no harm. Happy with the current trade deal, especially considering Canada recently won the WTO dairy dispute with the U.S. Well, one of the big highlights of Commodity Classic each year is celebrating national yield winners from across the U.S. So what was the secret sauce for some of the highest yields that we saw last year? That's Chips Corner next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Germinator Steel Closing Wheels. Perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order your Germinator Closing Wheels today. Welcome back to Chip's Corner this weekend. Chip, you've talked to so many different people at Commodity yeah. Classic this week. What good stuff do you have for us? Well, you know, everybody wants to talk about the markets. Is the corn market finally going to put a bottom in? But you know me and yields. I love talking yields. And here we are at Commodity Classic talking with some of the winners of the National Corn Yield Contest. And in one case, with Kevin Kalb, he's not too sure if maybe some of the distractions, some of the things that made 2023 really different, didn't help us out in 2023. Our yields probably shouldn't have been as high as what they were because right. of the cloudy days, but it also kept a couple things that kept the temperatures down uh, when it was really cloudy. But, you know, you're getting a lot of free carbon and, and uh, you know, free sulfur from the smokes. Now, I'm not saying we want to have another yeah. <laughs> fire, but, yeah, but, um, you know, as a whole I, I really do my opinion you know take it for what it's worth um you know we did not have conducive weather to grow that kind of corn the point that kevin made i've heard that from a lot of growers are these hybrids maybe a little bit more drought tolerant than they are heat tolerant and did that wildfire protect that crop last year just amazing to hear his insights on that you know tyne the thing that blows me away is we always talk about how each growing season is different yep. 
Well, when you throw the Canadian wildfire smoke on top of 2023, a record national yield with the drought that we had in the Western Belt, and guys like Kevin, who are used to growing really big yields, scratching their head wondering how the heck did that happen? 2023 has got to be one for the books. So what it means going forward is A, let's not underestimate it, okay? Let's make sure that we give that corn yield all the credit and, and all the, the respect that it deserves as we make our way through a growing season. It's gonna have an impact on our markets yeah. and, and, and how we go about marketing in, in an environment with big yield expectations. I talked to David Hula, national corn yeah. yield winner this year. He thinks the yield potential on a bag, 800, 900 bushel per acre. Can you imagine? No. All right, Chip, thanks again. Well, you can hear AgriTalk every day, AgriTalk AM, 10 AM, as well as AgriTalk 2 PM in the afternoons. A lot of great stuff that you covered this week at Commodity Classic. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Ty. All right, stay with us. We have the American Soybean Association Conservation Legacy Award winner. We're heading to their farm next. The American Soybean Association Conservation Legacy Awards are brought to you by BASF, delivering innovative, sustainable solutions to help farmers do the biggest job on earth. Each year during Commodity Classic, the American Soybean Association recognizes the outstanding environmental achievements of soybean farmers across the U.S. through the Conservation Legacy Award. Four regional winners are recognized, and then one national winner is announced during the ASA Awards Celebration Friday night. This year's national winner is Brad Doyle of Arkansas, and as you'll see, his work is a product of years of dedication. Go west of the Mississippi River about 40 miles and you'll find Doyle Farms on the western side of Poinsett County, a century farm that started around 1920. This soil type doesn't drain that well in particular, which made it very suitable for rice production. Land was cleared, wells were dug, and eventually other crops were added. Today the farm spans 2,400 acres and 100% of it is irrigated. We're just in a real narrow band of heavy rice production, heavy water demand on our aquifer, uh, so much that we are seeing that depleted. And that's why water conservation is so important. In 1985, worried about water availability, his father-in-law took 100 acres out of production to build a reservoir. It's called a tailwater recovery system, and the way you design it is rainfall on your farm is channeled in through ditches and canals to a center location where you can pump it into and over into the reservoir. Excess water in the winter means that water can be used for irrigation in the spring and summer. In 2019, the Doyles added a second 50-acre reservoir. Our biggest concern is, is the water availability for the future. And if, if we want to continue to grow rice especially, we've got to have that water. It also helps to control weeds. Those fields are precision leveled to improve water efficiency while saving money and energy on pumping. If we level a field, uh, we'll put chicken litter in behind it a couple of years and try to build that fertility back up. Tillage is minimized and cover crops are now planted on about 25% of their acres. We plant a lot of our cover crops around the edge of fields where pigweed can be a, a real challenge. 
and we do plant fields where, uh, where they're not going to be saturated. They also plant clover and pollinator-friendly habitats. Working with wildlife has become a passion of the farm. We were approached by National Wild Turkey Federation to work with them on their seed program. Together, the farm continues to thrive, a sustainability story more than 100 years in the making. So I have to tell our story in a little different way, but, but it is, it's still a conservation story that we're real proud of. Congratulations to Brad Doyle, the 2024 South ASA Conservation Legacy Award winner. Congratulations to the Doyle family, along with the three other regional winners this year, who were all recognized during the ASA banquet during Commodity Classic this week. Well, up next, he's an Iowa farmer who's no stranger to the growth and change it takes to make it work as he takes challenges head on. We're off to Iowa to meet Kelly Garrett next. Well, in early February, three farmers were recognized as Top Producer of the Year finalists. There's no mold for being a Top Producer of the Year finalist. Instead, each of their stories is unique. And for Iowa farmer Kelly Garrett, he's constantly looking for new opportunities to grow and expand. As his son says, he's an endless entrepreneur. Finding the calm in the midst of chaos just may be Kelly Garrett's specialty. A friend explained to me that there's a difference between the finite game and the infinite game. And I didn't even know what he meant, but what he explained to me was, you're playing the infinite game where there isn't an end goal, you're just always trying to improve and get better, and every time you see an opportunity, you take a look at it. A farmer and cattle producer in Western Iowa, thanks to Kelly, this operation continues to conquer change. From the 750 acres of crops and 35 cows when Kelly and his wife Amber started farming back in 1998, to the 7,000 acres and 700 head of cattle today. But along with that, there's other entities, Garrett Trucking, uh, KSX Transportation is a, another trucking company that we're the majority owners of. Kelly's constantly uncovering new opportunities, including the decision to help start Integrated Ag Solution, a fertility company that sprouted from Extreme Ag. Kelly and the entire operation is in constant motion. Just ask his wife, Amber. One time he promised me to sell, we were gonna sell calves so we wouldn't have to deal with cows in the winter. And so I didn't think we had any. And the neighbors called and said, your cows are out. And I said, we don't have any. <laughs> but we did. <laughs> it's a family dynamic that works, starting when Kelly came back home to farm, instantly full of ideas and how the farm could change. And after a while, like I said, uh, I said, Kelly, let's just farm next year because he was always wanting to do something else, you know, or try something, you know, and, but that never took hold. The operation has 75 employees today, and as Kelly continues to lead, he gives others room to grow. One of his biggest things in, in, about Kelly is he trusts. He will put you in a role, and, uh, and I tell everybody, he makes that bubble big enough for you to grow, but not too big so you, you'll never fail. He'll make mistakes, but there's no, there's no risk of failing. Kelly also made it possible for his three sons to come back to the family farm. He's, a, he's an endless entrepreneur. He's high energy, upbeat, always looking for the next opportunity, always looking for the next way to do better. If Kelly wasn't busy enough, July 1st of 2023, they bought the gas station in town, fuel they also use for their trucking business. And that's just across the street from this, GLC Beef a direct-to-consumer beef business. 
The idea for GLC Beef was actually the dream of their middle son, Colin, who majored in animal science at Iowa State. We decided to do this about Christmas time of his junior year of college. But in July, the Garretts faced the unimaginable when, at just 22 years old, Colin died in an accident and the entire family had to find a way to keep moving forward. For the first few days after the accident, I contemplated shutting it down, but that, that's a given up. I won't give up. This, this has to succeed because it's like he's still here. Signs and memories of Colin are everywhere at GLC Beef. Now Kelly wants to make him proud leave a lasting impact on others. And that's probably one of Kelly's best attributes of, of being a person, is the way he looks at people and wants them to be better than what they are. Congratulations to Kelly Garrett and the Garrett family on being a finalist for the 2024 Top Producer of the Year. Congratulations again to the Garrett family for being a top producer of the year finalist. Well, it's been another eventful commodity classic. Thanks to everyone who joined us for our live taping this year from here. It's always a packed house and we're grateful for that. Well, we're back in the studio next weekend as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.